Hey everybody, this is Keith Loy. I'm the founding senior pastor of Celebrate Church in Sioux Falls, South Dakota, and this is our podcast. I just want to say thank you for joining us, and it is my prayer that this week's message will truly encourage you. Enjoy. There's a book out entitled Into Thin Air. I don't know if you've read it or not, but it was written by John Krakauer. It's about an account on an expedition that went so wrong in Everest. In fact, still to this day in the history of those who've tried to climb it, it's the most that's ever died in one day. It was eight people. It was 11 that day that decided to scale it. Of the five who made it to the summit, only one of them survived. His name is Dr. Beck Weathers. He's from Dallas, Texas, the lone survivor. Somehow, in some way, he found his way back to base camp number four. It's interesting, though, when they sent a team of the Sherpas up to see if there's any who were still alive, they passed on him, figuring he was dead. And through an incredible storm, he was there all night, covered in snow, found strength, if you will, to get up and walk back into camp number four. That morning, those who were at the camp started to make their way back down. And when they looked into his, pen, his tent, they figured he was dead and left him there alone in camp four. But in the end of it all, he would survive. He would lose one arm and all five fingers on his other hand. And I'd stop and I think about it quite often. Why? Why do people do such things? And for what reason? And I've been told that the reason that people do it is the view. A little over 4,000 people have made it to the summit. Of those that attempt it, one out of 13 will lose their lives in the attempt. And believe it or not, if I wasn't raised in Nebraska or might have been raised in Colorado, I love mountain, I love adventure. It's one of those things in my heart. I always think if I was young again, I would love to attempt Everest. In fact, even though I'm 56, I'm still playing with the idea of making it to base camp number four. It's just things that are in me. And I always ask, why? Why is that? What is it about that I had to jump out of an airplane even though I'm afraid of heights? What is it about that I've been up in a balloon now, I believe, three times? And there's just different things that I like to attempt. I love to say that I've, I've done it. And then I realize that those who scale Everest are no different than you and I. We actually do the same. There's something about us that we'd say, I would never do that. And the fact of the matter is, you're not being honest with yourself. Because anyone who stood at an altar and held the hands of someone and said, I want to give my life to you, dreamed of an Everest marriage. Every child who's born wants to live an Everest life. In fact, in this country, the thing we chase more than anything, which is sad, is the almighty dollar. But it's our belief that in that money, 
we might be able to have an Everest experience. And so we will risk, we will start things, we will dream, and every one of us wants to be at the pinnacle of life. We just do. But here's the sadness. See, I'm one of these guys that when I was in high school, I hated history. But it's completely flipped for me. I love it. I can't believe how many documentaries and books I've read on the Titanic. And the same is true with Everest. In fact, just this past week, I found another documentary of it and had to watch it. I've read books, countless books, because I'm just so enthralled by it. And I realize all the parallels that's really going on in life. In so many ways, we are the Titanic. And we just believe that in our boat, we can do a little bit different than someone else's. And so all of the warnings that are given of the icebergs coming, we push them aside because we're going to be a little different. If I was climbing Everest, there would be things I might do a little different. We all think the same, believe it or not. And we attempt things because we all want to have that up in the top moment. What could that be like? And yet I'm saddened when I look at our world today how many people die on the mountain. And it's because of a promise we're going to uncover. A promise that is so important to our lives. And I think we gloss over it. and We don't even realize this incredible truth that's in God's word. And I fear it. I'm saddened by how many marriages that have gone awry, got tanked. But they started with an Everest idea. And they started to climb. I'm amazed how many people have given up and instead of thriving, they just choose to survive. And they'll die in the mountain. They've just given up. But what can we learn from Dr. Beck Weathers in the depth of his soul? I'm going to get off this mountain. And everything went wrong. And everything, nothing went his way, and yet he got off the mountain. And I believe we can too if we get this promise. There's a song out that goes like this, I can almost see it, that dream I'm dreaming. But there's a voice inside my head saying, you'll never reach it. Every step I'm taking, every move I'm making feels lost with no direction, and my faith is shaking. But I i got to keep trying. i got to keep my head held high. There's always going to be another mountain. I'm always going to want to make it move. Always going to be an uphill battle. And sometimes I'm going to have to lose. But it ain't how fast I get there. It ain't about what's waiting on the other side. It's the climb. I'm so glad you brought that up because it was recorded and made a hit by Miley Cyrus. And I say that to say this because some of us in this room have an opinion of Miley, but what's interesting that none of us have been Miley. And if there's one thing that's got to stop in the church is you need to quit having an opinion about someone else and where they've been. And you need to start seeing them. And you need to start seeing them the way that God sees them and what they can become. Because see, I happen to know Miley Cyrus' pastor. And I've spent some time with him and he says, every month I write her, I baptized her, 
And I write her and tell her I love her. And I just tell her it's time to come home. And one day she'll come home. And the question is, when she does, will you be able to be at peace and rejoice because you believed that she could come home? Or will you have to answer for God for all the opinions you had based upon her life of which you've never lived? I'm never justifying it. I'm here to tell you, we've got to stop doing it in the church. We need to see people as God sees them and what they can be redeemed. Because that's who the God is, that none would perish. He died out of love for people, not about where they've been. He knew he was the answer of what they could become. And we need to live that way. And I love this song because I think it's the story of all of our lives. Because believe it or not, we're all Miley Cyrus. The only difference is we haven't admitted it yet. We all need Jesus. And it really sets up to this promise because we're all on a climb. And yet how sad how many will just die on the mountain and never experience all that God has because they fail to understand a promise. So if you have your Bibles, I want you to go to Romans 8. Romans 8. And if you're watching online, I'm so glad you're joining us. I love this series because we're looking at what God says, not what we think it says, what God says to us. And if we could build our life on the promises of God, amen to that? Man, if we could build our lives on the unbelievable promises of God. Now, let me say this as you're going there. Every climb encounters bad weather. Anyone who's ever braved Everest knows we will never get from base camp one to two to three to four and get to the summit and back off the mountain and it's going to be a sunshiny day. Everyone knows a storm is going to come and it will come fast on Everest. And we need to be equipped and ready when it does because we're naive to think it won't. Anyone who's made it to the summit has braved unbelievable storms. But they knew they would come, but they were equipped with a promise. And I'm paralleling this, if you will, to what it means to walk spiritually. When you get this promise, it will change the way you climb. So here we go. Romans 8. I'm not going to read them all, but we're going to begin in the very first verse. And I want you to look at the screen and read out loud with me. Come on, church. Therefore, there is now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. Say it with me again. Therefore, there is now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. I don't know about you, but this is an awesome promise. But here's the deal. It's not the promise we're going to talk about. But it's an important one when it comes to base camp number one. And yet very few get this. And I'm not talking to the unsaved. I'm talking to those who claim to be saved. I hear it all the time. And it's no wonder they die on the mountain. They find themselves just thriving or giving up because they don't realize the power and the promise of this verse. When you begin the climb with Christ, listen to this very carefully. I hear people say this all the time. These are Christians. You don't know what I've done. There's no condemnation. Well, God, God can't really forgive me. God can't use me. There's no condemnation. 
Well, my marriage didn't make it. There's no condemnation. I've been an addict way too long. There's no condemnation. You see, you have to understand most people never get to live for God and with God because they really don't know God. See, my Bible says that the moment you truly die to self, he takes whatever was and he forgets it. It's gone. He knows it no more. So why do you keep bringing it up? You see, we just don't know who God is. There's no condemnation for those in Christ. There's no condemnation for those in Christ. So here's a thought for you, people. In your marriage, he or she will never be what you want them to be. But they can be everything that God wants them to be. And you've got to decide if you want to focus on what was or what could be. There's no condemnation for those who are in Christ. There's no condemnation. Folks, every time you and I share our testimony and we talk a little bit about the past, I got to believe all of heaven is going, what are they talking about? (laughs) Which, by the way, let me tell you what a testimony is. A testimony is not telling people where you've been. A testimony is when you finally get to when you surrender to God and all that he has done. It's one of the reasons why we're cautious about letting people get up here live because someone want to talk about how bad they are, sort of glorifying all the sin that they've done, but that's not a testimony, folks. That's just admitting what we all are, lost, okay, doomed, all right? But a testimony begins when you talk about Jesus, I gave my heart to Jesus, and this is all that he's done in me. That's a testimony, Because that tells people, this is why you need to give your life to Jesus, because here's what he can do with you. And we need to talk less about where we've been and talk a whole lot more about where we are and where we're going. Because that's a testimony. It builds up the things of God. There's no condemnation for those in Christ. That's an amazing promise. But look at at the second verse. You got your Bibles looking. It won't be on the screen, but look what it says. Because, because, through Christ Jesus, the law of the Spirit who gives life has set you free. From the law of sin and death. Verse 3, for what the law was powerless to do because it was weakened by the sinful nature, God did by sending his own son in the likeness of sinful humanity to be a sin offering. And so he condemned sin in the human flesh in order that what? We are the righteousness. I love this, folks. Over and over when you read Romans 8, it's the climb to Everest. Each promise a base camp. You get to read that we have now the power of the Spirit. And yet, I don't. so many Christians don't get that. The Bible says in the beginning, there was the heavens, plural, and the earth, singular. And the Spirit of God was hovering over the earth, and God said, let there be light. The power of the Spirit, the one who created everything that we see, is in you, it's in me, if you know Jesus. We got power, power. Wonder-working power in the blood of the Lamb. See, that's how we should sing it. See, I'm not a fan of the hymns when we sit there and go, there is power, power, and someone banging on an organ. Folks, we ought to be singing it. There is power, power, wonder-working power in the blood. Come on. You know, we should be full of it. It shouldn't come from here. It should come from here. Romans says that. We have power. 
We get to go to another base camp. We are co-heirs, the Bible says in this passage. Do you know what an heir is? Everything that God has is yours. It's mine. Everything. We're co-heirs. Think about that. So we have the power of the Spirit. We have everything God has. It's ours. Unbelievable. The Bible says we have life. Not, not survival, but thrival. We have life to the full. That's what Jesus said. We have peace, a peace that passes all understanding. Romans 8 is impregnated with each step going up the mountain. And it's such a beautiful passage. But then we get to the pinnacle. We get to the top of Everest. And there's a promise that unless you really receive it, embrace it, you're not going to get it. You're not going to live the life that God has. And so I want you to read it with me, if you would. Romans 8, verse 28. It's on the screen. Come on, church. Everybody, nice and loud, this beautiful promise. And we know that in all things, God works for the good of those who love him, who've been called according to his purpose. I've entitled this message, God's Unfailing Promise. God's Unfailing Promise. I don't know if you've ever bought something and it came with a guarantee, a warranty. You know what I'm talking about? Now, I'm saddened because a lot of times there's the warranty, there's the guarantee, but then there's the fine print that says none of it's true, okay? You know what I'm talking about? But you buy something and it comes and it simply says this, if anything goes wrong, it breaks, just bring it back. We'll replace it or give you your money back. Folks, that's what God's saying here. This is God's warranty on your life. It's as if God's saying, I guarantee you, I promise you, there's the problem, we just don't believe God. Do you know why people worry? They don't trust God. Do you know why people get anxious? Don't trust God. Like right now, if come Monday morning, everything out in, 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 in your stocks, in your IRA, everything, let's just say the entire mighty dollar completely collapsed and you lose everything you've ever invested. Whoopee. And some of you can't say that because you don't know who God is. I'm just calling it what it is. Because I'm here to tell you, if you know God and you lose everything, you have no place to lay your head and you have to live under a bridge like Jesus. Because <laughs> he didn't have it home. He even says, I have no place to lay my head. I will guarantee you, if you have faith and understanding who God is, you'll be much more filled with joy than if the stocks explode and you live in the penthouse and think you have everything you got. Because I say it all the time, everything you get, you lose. You'll lose it. You'll lose it. Well, I'll pass on the next generation. That's worked real well in this country, hasn't it? So I don't want to trust the next generation. I want to trust God in the next generation. There's a big difference in that, okay? And I think we got a great generation coming up because we just saw it. I don't know about you, but I want to be a church. This fired me up. This, I, I got a call. They're out at a barn, beautiful barn that was built for weddings and stuff. Some people in our church said, listen, use it. I think it's so cool. They didn't let me use it yet. But anyway, I, but, uh, if you're in the room, please. Anyway, so, but, but here's the deal. 
is, it's beautiful. And now our young people are in there. And they call me up and they said, we got to tell you a story. They're trucking through a cornfield. It had been raining. It's mud. They don't care. They're excited going, Pastor, you can't believe what's going on. It's so cool. We're going down the river. We thought it was closer than we thought. (laughs) But we're on our way, man. And they go down in the middle of the night. And you all know the river in this town. That's clean. So, you know, they crawl out in there with their clothes on. And they're all in there getting wet. Because what matters is a young person wants to be baptized. I want to be a church like that. But I got to tell you, it convicted me. I'll admit. See, I've gotten old. Some of the worst things that can happen to you is you you get old. I'm not sure I would have thought that way. We need to get baptized. Hey, you know, tomorrow let's meet at the church. We can fill up a tank and a pool and we'll get our swimsuits on, you know, because really what I'm saying is it's it's muddy outside. I don't want to get my shoes dirty. And we tend to play out comfortable and convenient. But I love this younger generation. They're like, forget this. Someone was lost, now they're found. Let's get to that river. You know, and they're on their way. I'm like, wow, people, I want to entrust my life to that next generation. See, I used to say in this church, and it's changed. I used to say, it's not a me church, it's not a we church, it's a he church. I don't say it anymore. It's not a me church. And I look at the young people and say, it's yours. Tell me what you need it to be for your generation. Because I believe they'll build it stronger and better than I even thought I could. And, young, and the old people, I'm asking you to join me in that. Let's quit fighting for what we knew. Because it ain't coming back. Let's fight for them and the passion they have for young people. Their age. Their passion. And let's breathe everything we can into their sails. Because I think God's going to use them in a mighty, mighty, mighty way. He knew what he was doing. Please hear this, if you trust who God is. He knew what the world would be going through. And he birthed that generation for such a time. He raised them up for such a time. See, I think they're God's best to bring it home. Let's pass them a baton. Let's give them something. Let's blow wind in their sails and watch what God can do. I'm so excited. It thrilled my heart. I I loved it when they called me. And I got to celebrate. That's a beautiful picture. Just a beautiful picture of young people all down there. They didn't even put the camera around and all the ones standing on the bank in the mud. And they're all cheering it on. Folks, it's awesome. Amen to that? It's awesome. I love it. God guarantees. So what I'm going to do is I'm going to give you four truths about this verse. The top of Everest. If we could get it, it'll change our lives. Four truths. And I don't want you to miss them. All I'm going to do is give you two. Next week, Reed's going to give you the other two. But here's the first one. If you got your notes, write in. This promise is a certainty promise. Say it with me. This promise is a certainty promise. Circle the word certainty. And look what Paul writes. Three words. We can know. We can know this. There's no ifs, ands, or buts here. We can know it. This promise is an ironclad, fixed, irrefutable, without a doubt, entrenched guarantee of God. The literal translation reads this way. We can know for certain. It's a certainty promise. And you know why it is? Here's the first one. Write it in. Because of who God is. Say it with me. 
because of who God is. See, listen this carefully. God has a disposition that is greater than any human condition. Do you know what the word disposition means? It's the essence of who God is. But again, I think a great problem in the church is we don't know who God is. That's why we live the way we do. That's why tomorrow morning church is over. Now we've got to put things back in our hands and we start running the way we do. You know why it is? We just don't know who God is. When you understand who God is, it is an unbelievable moment. I want to show you in scripture. Nahum 1 verse 7. Here's what it says. Read the first four words with me. Come on. The Lord is. Stop there. The Lord is what? Now, let me, let me help you understand the word good here. Because he's God, he can't get gooder. <laughs> See, I don't think we understand that. When God is good, it can't get better. God is absolutely who he is. If you read the philosophies of Anselm or Aquinas, there's a writing out there that says that that which is greater is greater than that which is already great. And it makes no sense when you're reading it to the fullness, but when you slow it down and realize what he's saying, it's like two and a half pages of a wording like that. But he gets to the end, he says, listen, but there's finally comes to a place where something just has to be great. And everything comes from it. And that someone is God. Everything has a creator except something had to be to create everything that is. And that someone is God. That's why he's the alpha and the omega, the beginning and the end. He has no beginning. He has no end. And some of us in this room go, that makes, that makes no sense. That's the problem. You're trying to figure everything out in your human intellect. Rather than trusting God by faith in who he is. And it's proven to me. It's been proven. When we were a child, and, and when you were a child, maybe you prayed this prayer. God is great. God is is there anything more to say out of the mouth of babes? It says it all. God is great. God is good. That's enough for me. This is why Paul wrote, if God is for us, who can be against us? And the answer is no one. If God is for us, who can be against us? That's in this chapter. It's verse 31. Right after this promise that we can know in all things for certain. We can know it, that God is working for our good if we will love him and if we are walking according to his purpose. We can know, we can know, we can know. D.F. or F.B. Meyer says it this way. Listen to this carefully. If any promise of God should fail, then the heavens would clothe themselves in sackcloth the sun, the moon, the stars would reel from their courses. The universe would rock and a hollow wind would moan through a ruined creation. The awful fact that God can lie. You've got to decide if, if he doesn't or he does. I have. For the very nature of who God is, I bank my life on it. I'm all in, man. I'll bank my life you see, listen to this. God doesn't first care about what you and I've done. God first cares about what he'd done. He, he's the starting point for everything in him. He's God. 
And so it's a promise with certainty just for the sheer fact of who God is. But here's number two. But here's a second reason we can know for certainty. Because of what we've experienced. This is an important one. But probably a problematic one. See, where I'm getting at is when you experience something, nobody has to explain to you anything about it. Because in your experience, it's now proven, right? Charles Spurgeon said it this way. Once you've eaten honey, no one has to describe the sweetness to you. You know it through experience. You know, I read about a little old lady who had, it, had the initials all throughout her Bible, TP. Now we all know what that means, right? Or we think. Everywhere you'd turn a page in her Bible, it'd be TP in the margin. TP, TP, TP. And it was everywhere. Finally, someone asked her, what does TP stand for? She smiled and said, it stands for tried and proven. I'm thinking she's right. See, once you experience something and you experience God, no one has to explain it to you. Because in the experience, it's been tried and proven. Please hear this. This is why I get up on the stage and do what I do. It's not because I'm called of God, even though I am. But we all are, if we're truly a child of God. But I stand up here because it's tried and proven. You don't have to like me. You can push back on me. But I've learned this. Do you know why people push back when something comes out that they don't like? Because it's not tried and proven for them. See, I, I love to bring it up. I love to say it all the time. It's why people don't tithe. I do. In fact, I quit tithing a long time ago. I give more than my tithe. And I'll bet I'm in better financial shape than any of you that don't. It's tried and proven. I can't outgive God. I can't give enough to God that it doesn't just keep coming back. Because why? His word says it. I know who he is, and I know whom I believeth, and I'm convinced he's able. All right, here we go. God has been so good. Over and over, he's good to us. When you understand the promise, and that's the pinnacle of Everest. When we realize how it really works, folks, God's disposition, who he is, changes every condition and circumstance that I face in my life. See, here's how it works. Faith, my trust in God, produces favor, the experience of God, but it has to be in that order. But here's what people want. They want the favor so their faith will grow. Like, God, if you do this, ah. and you know what God says? You'll never see it. I'm not going to show you anything. Who are you to tell me if I do, if you're going to tell me what to do? And if I do it, that's going to help you? Are you kidding me? I'm God. I want you to trust me and I'll show you what I can do. You see, that's how it works. The water doesn't flow through the hose until you hook the hose up to the hydrant, people. That's how it works. It's an amazing thing. And the more you live it out, the more you experience, and the more you experience, guess what happens? Faith keeps growing. It's an unbelievable thing. That's why I tell people, faith up, don't freak out. Faith up. That's kind of been my heart and attitude through this whole thing of COVID. I was amazed how many people are like, ooh. Like, dear Lord, pandemics have been a part of a life forever. God's still on the throne. We might die from it. That's not a bad day. 
I'm going to talk about that in a moment. I'm just being upfront with you. I'm not running into COVID alley and going, hey, you know what I mean? I'm not doing that. I'm trying to be wise as serpent, innocent of a dove. I'm just telling you, I'm not freaking out with COVID because I'm already faithed up with Christ. And my God's bigger, my God's better. And if I die, then I go home and be with God. I win. Yay. Okay. So I'm just telling you, that's why, but, but it only happens when you know who God is. You can know for certainty, know for certainty that in all things, in all things, and that brings me to number two. Here's number two. This promise is a complete promise. Say that with me. This promise is a complete promise. He says we can know for certain in what? How many things? Oh, come on, people. We can know for certain in what? It doesn't say most things. It doesn't say some things. It says all things, which means 100% of the time. See, this promise encompasses my entire life, even before I was a follower of Jesus. Everything in my life in the hands of God, he can use it for good. I don't know about you, but that's like really awesome. Because I've done some pretty awful things. Anybody else been there? And yet God goes, man, I got it. I can use it. When you understand who he is, everything in life, God can use it. I love this stuff because when God says all, by the way, I looked up the word in the Greek. Do you know what it means? All. <laughs> okay. Let, let me show you what all, let me show you what all includes. Write this down. Our pleasant experiences. You know, the good stuff, you know, where we get up and we sing, oh, the Lord is good to me. And so I thank the Lord. Forgiving me the things I need, the sun and the moon and the apple tree. The Lord is good to me. Amen, 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 amen. You know what I'm talking about? See, I, I, I want you to listen to this. See, I am learning to realize how good I have it. And the more I realize how good I have it, the less I even have any bad in my life. I'm going to talk about that in a moment. But here's the deal. None of us deserve anything. When are we going to start admitting that? See, I hear people come up and they, something bad happens. They're like, oh, Lord, help me. And I sometimes wonder if God's going to help you. Dude, I'm the, the only reason you still breathe is because of me. I've been helping you all along and you never thanked me for that. Well, here we go. You got a problem from your perspective. And now you're going to go, God. It's like, how, how come you weren't saying, amen, amen. Amen, amen, amen. Oh, I mean, think about this. We're born in this country. Amen, 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 amen. You got up this morning in a warm house. Amen, 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 amen. I'll bet you had a warm shower this morning or a warm bath last night. Amen, 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 amen. I noticed some of you aren't doing it. You're just like, nah, I said my life still sucks. <laughs> I got a word from the Lord, and it probably still will and probably always will. Because you don't get it. We have it so good in this country, people. I've been in Bamboo City in Ecuador. I've been in Haiti. I've been around the Christians in Haiti. They live on less than a dollar a day. Their little island has gotten cremated over and over. 
And I've walked down them when the earthquake happened. I was there. Ecuador, South America, Bamboo City, where tens of thousands of people have nothing and most of them walk around naked. They don't even have a change of clothes. And yet everybody in this room walked into a closet. I'll bet you have more than one pair of clothes. And when's the last time that we went, amen, amen. See, I could bring eight Haitians up here, eight Haitians and put them on the stage without microphones. And I'm willing to bet when we were worshiping, they drowned all of us in this room out. I've heard it. I've saw it right after the earthquake and watching them at a worship service. That's amazing. And they're singing from here. And they're just, they have nothing. But you know why? I know who my God is. And I'm convinced he's able to guard that which I've entrusted until that day. See, they got the promise last week, this isn't my home. And though I might not have a lot to the, what the world sees, I have Jesus. I have everything I need. And folks, I'm here to tell you, it's such a beautiful thing when we understand what gratitude does because then gratitude takes us to our painful experiences. Did you catch that? See, when we catch the pleasant that God is there, it changes the painful, you know, the bad stuff. I, I love this story. It's an old data story, but it still fits today. It's out of Reader's Digest. It was in the June version, 2000. A lady's writing it. She says, like many high school seniors, my son was filling out college scholarship applications. Some of you parents have been there. On the form, he was asked for his extracurricular activities, and he answered wrestling. The next question requested, positions held. He wrote pinned, mostly. <laughs> I, think, I think most of us feel that way, don't we? We go through life and, and we feel pinned. But I want you to write something down because this is so important. What I'm going to say, it's going to chafe you a little bit, but hang in there, okay? Here it is. Our bad, no matter how bad, isn't that bad. Amen. Let me say it again. Our bad, no matter how bad, isn't that bad. Because of Jesus and this promise, it's only bad for a moment. If you really got Jesus, whatever you face is only bad for a moment. It's just a moment. And then all of a sudden God does something and you realize, wow, please hear this. Whatever you think's bad in the moment, when God gets you to the other side of the moment, I will guarantee you his good is a whole lot greater than anything you thought bad. And I'll also tell you this, what you thought was good here, and if you could go around the bad and you accomplished it, your good is bad compared to what he had for good if you'd have walked through it. Absolutely. Because everything with God is about the kingdom. There's something he's going to do that we don't understand. So we don't have to have it all figured out to enjoy each and every moment. And you may have to endure it for such a time, but it's only for a moment. Because the Bible says, in a blink of an eye, we shall be changed in a moment. In a moment. Listen, you, you don't have to have electricity figured out to plug in your hairdryer. 
You don't have to figure out all the mechanics of it to appreciate the benefits. Folks, I am so grateful for vehicles. I'm the last guy on the planet you want me to work on, your vehicle. Like if you're stranded drive by the road and I pull up, you don't say, oh, thank God you're here. You say, keep driving, Keith. Just keep going. Just go. That'd be the best thing I could do. I know nothing about vehicles. I am blown away by people do. But I'm sure grateful for them. And I don't have any problem getting in and starting that thing up. You with me on this? Joseph was a teenage boy. We read these things in the Bible. We just don't believe them, do we? But Joseph is a real guy, you know, a real dude in the real world. Joseph was a teenage boy, a teenager, rejected by his own family, beaten, thrown into a pit, sold into slavery by his own family. And once he's in Egypt, in a place he'd never been, he's enslaved to a man named Potiphar, and Potiphar begins to like him, and so does Potiphar's wife. He says, I want nothing to do with that. So she falsely accuses him of sexual assault and he now gets thrown back into jail and he's forgotten. And here's what he writes. You intended to harm me, but God, you all know how I'm about buts, but God intended it for good to accomplish what is now being done of the saving of many lives. You know, there's a simple chemical formula in science If you mix sodium, Na, and chlorine, Cl, you get table salt. But if you take either one of them separately, you will die because they're both poison. But you mix them together, and they put flavor on food. Throw it on the ground, and it thaws the ice. It's beautiful what God can do. When you understand whatever I'm going through, you don't have to like it, but just keep loving him. Because he's going to do something that's going to blow your mind. Because that's the promise of God. I know for certain in everything I go through, and Reed's going to finish this next week, folks, God's promise is certain. You can know, and it's complete in everything in your life. Watch this. I started coming to Celebrate in 2008, and I came all by myself, and there were a lot of tears, but it changed my life. Then, one of my best friends started talking to me, and she said, Michelle, there's a guy that you need to meet. He's perfect for you. So I called, and... Actually, I wasn't so... We went on a date then, but I actually, I wasn't so sure, because one of the questions I was in this journey... Like, hey, what's your relationship with Jesus like? On the first date, yeah. On the first date. <laughs> yeah, pretty pretty bold move, I, yeah. But... Uh, and he, I think I said, you know, are you plugged into a local church? Where are you going? And you yeah. weren't going. No, I, I was not. And one of the reasons that I think I was hesitant to, to even to meet Ryan was I knew that he was a widower. And... You had lost your wife, Megan, when Alan yeah. was a baby. Yeah. You know, you have a tragedy in life, and, and obviously I think our natural response is to get angry. Angry at 
God, angry at the world, angry at the tragedy that, that happened, angry at people. You invited us to celebrate uh, kind of along, hey, they got a great kids ministry. I mean, literally the very first day, the, the message that was preached, it was literally like for me. I have absolutely just refused to let people in. I think one of the things that we have learned in our marriage is surrender. I think there's been a lot of moments where life happens and it's like, what is going on? But I would say surrender has been a really huge theme for us. I think the first really big surrender moment for us was when our son was in the NICU. And he came five weeks early and spent time there. So I think the shock for us was, you know, no one knew it was coming and he had complication after complication. And I remember so vividly the day that we got sent home. I was sitting there. You had just ran into the office um, because it had been several weeks and you'd ran into the office. And at that time, Chris Tomlin had this song out, um, How Great Is Our God, and there was a world edition of it, so they sang in all these different languages, and our thing was Ryan would, I mean, we sing a lot at our house, like, we're we're not good, but we, like, it's really fun, and we love to sing. Uh, He had sent me a text message and said, singing Chris Tomlin, How Great Is Our God, world edition, in my office right now. At that moment, I got my text and said, said he was singing, he was praising, exact moment the doctors came in and said your baby boy is healthy you're going home and it just was such a confirmation and to me just the ultimate act of surrender like here in this unknown we we were praising God you were praising God and it was like God was like I've got you like if you can praise me when you have no idea what's going on like it's going to be okay. I think part of my my whole journey along has been understanding that you know, I think for the longest time I thought when you when you become a believer like everything is just going to fall in line and everything's going to work out and you know, a lot of life seems like you're walking uphill and it's it's not easy. I think for me, I, I, I had this moment, and there's this dialogue in the Bible that Jesus is talking about with, with his disciples, and he asked the question, who do you say that I am? And it was at that moment that, Ryan, who do you say that I am? Because your answer to that will depend on how you navigate these situations, how you go through a death of a loved one, how you go through your child being sick, um, how you go through health problems, how you go through all of these things, is when you can answer that question and know that it's Jesus. It's the Savior. Pastor Keith teaches this all the time. Like, there are going to be those highs and lows, but, like, in the grand scheme of things, like, God has you. Just stay in the course. 
every day it's it's that surrender that active surrender that you can decide to to walk with him and realize that you're not alone that you're not alone going through whatever it is you you are or you may be going through that you're walking with someone and he's right there well thanks again for listening To hear more messages like this one, make sure to subscribe and check out our podcast channel for past messages. And if you like what you're hearing, consider rating it and even sharing it with your friends. It helps so much. You know, you can click the share button, take a screenshot and share it on your social stories and tag us at Celebrate Church. For more content from Celebrate and to connect with us, go to Celebrate.Church. We love you and we believe in you. God bless. God bless.